Good morning. It's good to be back with you again this morning. Uh, this is part three of a three-part series in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you've been here for either of the first two, you see that I'm dressed just a little bit differently today. Um, I thought I'd bring some class to the place. How about that? No, I, I'm the same person, and, and I learned that lesson a long, long time ago. I, first two, I, I just pull over shirt. That's, I'm comfortable doing that, you know, and, but I'm also comfortable like this. I learned a long time ago that it just doesn't matter. I'm still the same person on the inside. What does truth look like? Does it dress a certain way? Does it look like a certain thing? And when I was in college, I would, um, on weekends, go preach at a particular church. It might be in Indiana, it might be uh, in Ohio and northern part, but I would go out on Sunday, drive out there and, and preach. But during the week, while I was a student in college, I used to work at Pogue's Department Store. Pogue's Department Store, if you've ever been downtown Cincinnati, it's the Carew Tower building, the tall one, but the first six floors belonged to Pogue's. At that point in time, on Saturday mornings in particular, I would get up about 4.30, quarter to five. I would then jog down the, the hill and about two miles to downtown Cincinnati. I'd work from six in the morning till maybe four in the afternoon. But when I got there, I had to change into my outfit for the day. And my outfit was a pair of green pants with a green shirt because I was a part of the housekeeping department. I would push the trash can around and I would collect the trash from behind the cashiers. I would change the light bulbs in the place. I would do those kind of things. And it was interesting the looks that I would get from different people. Some people just kind of put me right in the category of the trash that I was collecting. You could tell. And other people then uh, would treat me as though I were a real person and I had value regardless as to what I was doing. But the interesting part was then when I got up on Sunday morning and I would dress to go be the preacher and then get a different look from different people and have the respect and those kind of things. And I felt like, you know... I'm still the same person. It really doesn't matter too much what I'm wearing. The truth is still going to be the truth, regardless as to who preaches, teaches, what they look like, or, or anything like that. So for me, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of pulls down things in a practical way. I believe the teachers of the law, the teachers of his day, um, they made things more difficult than they should have been. Jesus could stand up with any of the legalists, but he also made it very practical that the common man would understand and their lives could be changed. I was in the ministry for five years, got out for three, and then got back into the ministry. I've been for 42 years. But when I was out for those three years, I worked in a grocery warehouse in Cincinnati. For the first year and a half, I um, filled trucks. We lifted 30 to 40,000 pounds a day every day for about a year and a half. And then I graduated to a tow motor operator. Isn't that amazing? It was wonderful. You could sit on the tow motor all day and got those 40 feet up and back. You got to take the over-the-road truckers off and got to do all that kind of thing. But it didn't take too long before the guys realized that I used to be in the ministry. And so then they would come one at a time. And kind of asked different questions. Here was one of the questions I, would ask, I was asked. I said, uh, hey, if God can do everything, 
If he's all-powerful, and here came the theological question, can God make a rock so big that he cannot pick it up? <laughs> thought they had me. And at different times, you've realized that I have, God will kind of give you an answer that fits for the moment, right? It just does. And what came to me at that moment was, why would he want to? Why would he want to? To prove what? And that kind of just diffused everything. They, they realized that, you know, and they're not going to get me into this kind of a trap. But the next question that I, I can remember from those days in the uh, warehouse, and I was, I thought, probably about 35 guys, and I felt like I was the only one who was a Christian actually sharing the light, you know? And my brother number three, I'm two of six, but brother number three was experiencing the same thing as he was working for Electrojet. And, and um, I said, Mike, I feel like I'm the only Christian on my shift. I said, that's exactly the way I feel as well. And then I said, isn't it great? Because if we weren't there, they wouldn't have any light at all. And that's why you are where you are. So the God can be in you, work through you, and people can understand the God who really is. But another question that I received from that, those warehouse days was, don't you think, Mike, that most people are going to heaven? Don't you think most people are going to heaven? And it's a thing that a lot of people consider, and, and most people, I think, in the United States think that most people are going to heaven. It's because of what they're comparing themselves with. Well, I'm mostly good. Well, I do more good things than bad things. And, and all of a sudden, the scale ends up being good versus bad and how good are you versus how bad are you. And, and so most of us are kind of getting in, but that's not the way God weighs things out. And so when he asked me the question, I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, how many out of 10? If I had 10 apples here, I said, uh, how many is a few? All right. Now, how would you answer that? How many? Out of 10, how many is a few? Three. Two is a couple, right? Four is almost like uh, you stole one. That's one too many, okay? But a few is usually three for most people. And then I said, well, then if I had 100 here, how many is a few now? Well, 30 almost sounds like too much, doesn't it, for a few? But that would have been the same ratio. I mean, it could be 20. It could be. 10, it could only be three. Would still be a few, wouldn't it? And I said, "Well, how about a thousand? Could still be three. Could be 20. Could be 300. Could be anywhere." I said, "Well, what you've done is just answered your own question because, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you need to enter into and through the straight gate." Because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in there. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads into life, and only a few there be that find it. Right? Isn't that what he said? So what Jesus told us was not that there was going to be 144,000 in and the rest of us out. I'm glad for that because I don't think I'd make that cut. Okay? But what he did say is that there's going to be a few that find it, and many are going to go to the place of destruction. And I think that we need to realize 
that what we're doing here in worship and in our lives is worth doing because once we're saved, we're not going to get more saved. Once we're saved, we're not going to get any better fit for heaven because what God does is he forgives and then he makes us his kid and then he helps us to understand and become more like Jesus. But we're not becoming more fitted for heaven. That's not the deal. We're either his or not. We're either saved or not. And so why are we still here? It's to be in those roles that God has fitted us for, whether it's husband or wife or parent or, or whatever. But all of those roles are temporary. And the only thing that we can do here in this world is to take someone with us for all eternity. You know, everybody's going to live forever. Everyone's going to live forever. It's just that we get to choose the place where we're going to live forever. He gave us that choice. If it's that important, if it's that much danger to it that a person needs to accept Jesus Christ, then why is it that people don't? You ever thought about this? I think that some people don't accept Christ because they believe that he's a killjoy and that the adventure that I enjoy and I like in life, he's just going to put an end to all of that. Well, I'm here to tell you he doesn't, okay? He doesn't. I'm living proof. I've had five broken arms, torn ligaments in the ankle, and most of it's sports-related, and I've loved every minute of it. That's who I am. He doesn't kill the adventure. What he does is he kills the stuff that's going to create scars in your life. And you're going to have to live with the consequences of poor choices. And he says, man, don't do this. This is going to hurt you. All right, that's what he eliminates. It's just the stupid stuff that we can do to our, our own selves. I think there are those who are just flat out rebellious. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to run my own life. And I think some people are just that resistant to the creator of all. I think there are those who just don't see the danger. They don't really understand the danger. And I don't think it's a danger like they don't know. Like our firstborn, I'll never forget, we were at a swimming pool, and all of a sudden he starts running for the water and jumps in. He's only three, all right? And you know what happens to a three-year-old when he jumps in? Right down to the bottom. He had no clue about the danger. I think it's more like the guy that I saw on the interstate the other day. As I'm traveling around 270, this guy, I can see him in my rear view mirror. All of a sudden, he's coming up just faster than I'll get out. And, and he cuts over to this lane, and now he's cutting right behind me, and he cuts over here to the solo lane. He passes me, and he goes two lanes over, and then he cuts over, and he's flying 80 mile an hour. You know he is. And I don't think he realizes the danger to himself or to those who are around him. Because if he gets in trouble, then he probably has brought somebody with him, too, in an accident. And I don't think that some people understand the danger of choosing poorly in this life. If you do not choose Jesus Christ, then it's not just you, but it's those who look up to you, respect you, and say, well, he wasn't a Christian. Well, she didn't live like Christ, so I don't need to either because I really respect that person. There is more danger than just yourself. At this, it is. 
It's very, very important what you decide and who you decide to follow. People are watching. The second point, and by now you realize I only have two points, okay? Only two points. But the second point is the fact that Jesus does not end the Sermon on the Mount very well at all. He does a lousy job, according to my speech teacher, okay? What he does is he ends the Sermon on the Mount with a negative. You're never supposed to do that. You're supposed to leave it on a positive so people can go away feeling good. And yet what he does at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if anyone hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains descended and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. But if anyone hears these words of mine and does them not, he shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And then he walks off stage. He's done. He does not end the way that my speech teacher would have told him to end. Or my homiletics professor to say, you don't preach like that. But what he did was ended with something he wanted the people to think about. And that's usually what you do. You end with something that you think, boy, I wanted to go home with this. How important is this? They get to take it home and think about it. My two granddaughters, they are so much. The first one lets you know how much fun it's going to be for being a grandparent, okay? I'll tell you what. Getting older, I really didn't care for that at all. Turning 50, I didn't want to turn 50. For two years before I was 50, I didn't want to turn 50. But when I had that first grandkid, all of a sudden life came back, and it was just so much fun. You know what I got to do with both of my granddaughters? I got to introduce them to a Jamocha milkshake at Arby's. How many of you like Jamocas? Ah. The second granddaughter, she couldn't say it very well, so we really worked on the pronunciation, and it's Jamocha, okay? And so she would repeat that with me, Jamocha. And then she got to really enjoying that. And so she, when he got up to the counter and we'd order, she says, I want a Jamocha, just like that. And they'd all start laughing. People in a restaurant would start laughing, but they knew what we were going to be drinking. Well, my first granddaughter, I would get this Jamocha milkshake and put half of it in hers, half of it in mine. We're sitting across the table from each other, and we're just enjoying this Jamocha shake together. She's about three, maybe four years of age. And as we're enjoying this thing, she's getting down to the end of it. And with the straw, you know how it happens, right? If you're really enjoying something, you want to suck every last drop of that that you can get out of that, right? So that's what she's doing. She is just sucking for it, right? Getting everything she can out of that. And then she got everything she could, and she just stops. She looks across the table at me and she says, Grandpa, that's a sad sound. <laughs> you ever thought about it? 
It is a sad sound. Because it means there ain't no more, right? You're at the end. And I think that for so many people in life that are around us, the end of life is a sad sound for them. They don't have the hope and the joy and the promises of Christ that we have. And what we have is so important that we got to make sure that we share that with those who are around us. It's so important that they understand. It may be a family member, it may be a coworker, it may be a friend that you just know has never really accepted Christ yet. And it's that important that Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount in this way. I don't want you to forget this. The only two ways that people go, and only a few there are, that are going to find it. The many are not. They're not. I'm going to close with this. One reason why I dress like I do is because I like the cross. I hate ties. And can I hear an amen on that too? All right. I hate ties. I've always hated ties. They've always been like chokers for me, okay? But the cross, uh, that, that's something different. I like it because there's so much meaning behind the cross. It, it made me who I am. It, it changed my life, what Jesus did for us. We sang about it. We prayed about it. But the guy who's behind this cross is the thing that really makes it come to life for me. His name was Bill. Bill had uh, been one of the first to get into what's called the UDT, the Underwater Demolition Team. It was before they became Navy SEALs. He was in the regular Army, tried out for this, and was accepted one out of, out of a thousand guys. And he made this UDT, the precursor to Navy SEALs. He's been in several different countries. He's been hit with Agent Orange. He takes, I think, 27 pills in the morning when he gets up. He's been through a lot, but he's been through a lot of life, too. He was through two failed marriages and on his third when he found Christ. His wife, third wife, was a Christian. Guys that he went golfing with, all of a sudden, he went golfing with these guys who worshipped at a Christian church somewhere. They began to share Christ with him, and he accepted Christ. And it changed his life. What he does now is he makes these by hand. He'll make two, three thousand of them a year. He will give them out no matter where he's going. I've been golfing with him, and, and uh, a couple of the guys will pop up and go, Hey, you guys, like, you guys want a cross? Hey, man, it's my Savior. It's my Lord. You know, like I'd give you a cross. He'll just do this anywhere. It doesn't matter. Why? Because he knows the difference. He knows what his life was prior to and after accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm going to close with this. People in the first days, that's recorded for us in the book of Acts. It's only 50 days after Jesus was on the cross. And Peter's preaching the sermon, and they know. They have put to death, and it's called the author of life. That's what Peter calls him. He was the author of life. He allowed you to put him to death. 
And they were cut to the heart, and they knew. They knew the truth when they heard it. And when they were, they said, what do we do? And basically, Peter said this, you can't do anything. It's all been done for you. Jesus died for you. Now, what you can do is receive it. And he said, what you need to do is repent of what you've been. Be willing to change your life. Be immersed in a Jesus Christ. That's where God will meet you, is what he said. And when you are baptized in a Christ, God will forgive your sins. And he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's God's part. You see, he did it before with the cross. All you do is say, thank you. And when you do, he gives you his indwelling Holy Spirit. Some of you here this morning need to get serious because it's about life and death forever. And you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. But others of you already have, but we've forgotten how important it is. Our friends, our family, our co-workers are in danger for all eternity. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for Jesus. He did immense words. He spoke the truth, and they needed to hear the truth. We do too. It's too easy to forget. And to get on to other things that just occupy our time and our mind, but they're not the important things. This is. I'm glad for these who are here this morning. I'm glad for your word. Father, if there's one that needs to be saved, who needs to just say yes, would you please give them the courage to do that? For the rest of us, Lord, help us not to forget how important we are in this world that you want to save. Pray in Jesus' name.